When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Thursday morning. Uh, We've got uh, plenty to talk about. Uh, First up this morning with Mike Delaney. Mike, of course, is head coach of the Bay of Plenty Steamers and they are having quite the season ahead of their Battle of the Bay match this uh, Saturday afternoon against Hawke's Bay in Tauranga. So uh, Mike Delaney shortly. Uh, we'll hear uh, little clips from uh, Yvonne Willering and uh, John Eels throughout the morning as well. Uh, just after 9.30, we'll open up the lines and uh, we'll get your calls on what you expect from the All Black naming uh, today for this Test match against Australia at Eden Park, uh, Bledisloe 2, uh, with the Bledisloe not even on the line. Uh, but we would love to hear your feedback on that. And of course, uh, Darcy Swain, six weeks, six weeks out of the game for taking out uh, Quinn Tapia the other day. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so we've got a couple of rugby subjects to talk about. Uh, maybe going to the football as well. So uh, you look forward to watching uh, the All-Whites against the Socceroos. I'd love to hear from you about that as well. Uh, we're uh, going to talk to Araha Hathaway. You know Araha. She reads the news for us uh, every half hour. Well, she's also uh, really um, up with Formula One motor racing. So uh, the calendar for 2023 was released yesterday. Um, and uh, some of the teams didn't even know about it, apparently. But uh, Arrow Hathaway is all over it. So we'll talk about the schedule for next year, which is very, very busy. Uh, and, of course, uh, we're still racing this year. So uh, Araha will give us an update on that. The panel, uh, Ollie Ritchie and uh, Graham Beasley this morning. A number of things to talk about there. I'll give you a, a horse for pacing for purpose. Uh, we'll also give you a greyhound. Uh, and then also after 11 o'clock, uh, Logan Swinkles uh, yesterday caught up with Chris Mundell who was uh, with the AFL in New Zealand, of course, massive weekend of uh, Aussie rules football, uh, the grand final at the MCG this weekend, what to look out for there, and just how the game is developing within our own country as well. So uh, that is an interview uh, that was done yesterday. We'll hear that in its entirety uh, just after 11 o'clock, and then we'll give you a greyhound as well. As Stump Smithy in the last uh, hour. So plenty to get through, and uh, first up, Mike Delaney. Right, uh, Bay of Plenty are having quite the season, um, and they're about to head into Storm Week, which every team has to go through. Uh, they've got a very busy uh, next uh, 10 days ahead of them. They've uh, got uh, Hawke's Bay, they've got Northland, and they've got uh, Waikato. So three crucial games. The last one may well turn out to be a shield challenge as well. So plenty still on the line for the Bay of Plenty Steamers, joined now by their head coach, Mike Delaney. Mike, good morning to you. Thanks for your time. 
Good morning, no worries. Hey, Mike, uh, first of all, uh, can you tell us about your, your coaching setup this year? Who, who have you got alongside you? Um, we've got uh, Richard Watt, who's been involved. He was involved with the Hurricanes for um, you know quite a long time with um, and with the, the Lions, and he's he's been up here. This is the second year. Damien Corona has come over. He came back from Japan, uh, played for the Bay, and um, yeah, so we've got a we've got a pretty good group, and um, yeah, it's just been a, yeah, it's been a pretty full on. Uh, few weeks but um yeah coming towards the end of it and as you said she's she's pretty uh pretty relentless with the next few weeks coming up and then um hopefully into some finals well mike you're handily placed uh, at this stage uh, you're in the the uh, third position in the odds conference but you do have a game in hand uh were you to get five points uh, you could e- actually uh, move to the top so it's the season's gone pretty well for you yeah i'm pretty happy with how it's been going um you know we've had Probably compared to last year, we've got a lot of continuity and, and we've been um, pretty lucky with being able to roll our squad out. Um, and we've had some guys, you know, come in and add value as well. So it's been really good. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, she's pretty important in the next few weeks and there's, there's a bit riding on it. There is uh, quite a lot riding on it. Let's, let's uh, take a look at your, your squad this year. Um, I think you initially named 37 on the back of last year using 58 players within the group. With, uh, for various reasons, so this year and not quite the same turnover. Yeah, so it's been a, it's been great for us. Um, you know, we it's the Sunday games and the, the boys are relaxing a little bit more. But um, yeah, um, yeah, it's been great to be able to do that. Um, obviously, it was really tested us last year with our depth and that, but it was actually good to see those guys play and bring them forward to this year. But yeah, I think continuity is key in this competition at the moment. So it's just um, yeah, it's good to to be able to. You know, play the guys week in, week out, and get that continuity and combinations, and and, and guys in when we need to. So, uh, tell us uh, about the makeup of the squad. As I said, uh, you named thirty-seven initially. Uh, who are the new players that you brought in? Um, we've had a we had a couple of um, couple of older guys that have come in. I thought we needed some 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 real leaders and people to write character and. Um, I thought Joey Walton from he's he's come over from uh, from Aussie. He was involved with the Waratahs and wanted to play some footy, and he's been awesome for us at centre. Um, suddenly, Hawera he's uh, come back from Japan, spent some time with the Brumbies, and wanted to come back and play. So um, yeah, I think we've we've you know recruited some really good people that have really helped our culture and in our environment, and um, and that's probably been a, a real. Uh, standout sort of for me in terms of making sure that we've got the right people and then we're all on the same page but it's been uh, great to have him and we were lucky to get a, a young Scottish nine who played for Glasgow and played for Scotland but he's unfortunately injured his hamstring and we've sent him home back to Glasgow to get um, ready for their season and then hopefully get involved with Scotland but he was awesome as well. On the back of that um, you, you mentioned the word continuity before um, you had quite a good player retention from last year's squad. Yeah, yeah, it was um, yeah the core guys. I think having um, you know Kudek and Skipper has been awesome for us. Um, you know, had had big minutes with the Blues, and um, you know he loves this team, and he's been really driving driving things from his point of view. So they've had a really good leadership group, and um, yeah, I think it's really important that we you know keep keep our guys keep keep them um, retained. Obviously, it's a bit harder in this environment; it's a bit more transient. But um, you know, it's really important for us to keep our the core of our group. 
Mike, uh, 15 players in the squad have come through the Bay of Plenty Athlete, athlete uh, Development Program. Could you tell us a wee bit about that program and, and uh, the influence it's having on rugby around Bay of Plenty? Yeah, it's pretty, um, you know, as is all poly unions are always trying to, you know, grow their own and, and um, you know, have local players. And that's, that's really important for us. It's just trying to, um, you know, shorten that distance or that gap between club rugby and, and, and NPC, um, obviously there is a bit of a, 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 um, a distance there that's probably um, bigger than people think. Um, you know, we've got players that sort of expecting Super Rugby standards, but being able to get those guys involved and, um, you know, really concentrate on the off-season, making sure, you know, we, we've got our local talent and we're trying to grow them as we can um, through through that uh, development program and getting to the gyms and getting in around and understanding the game and, and trying to grow those those younger guys. Well, your area also includes uh, Rotorua, and traditionally, when you, you look at areas uh, like uh, Taronga, uh, Rotorua, you, you look at First 15 rugby and you look at strong squads, the likes of Taronga Boys High, and, uh, and of course, you've also got uh, Rotorua Boys High as well. Is, is secondary school rugby still growing and still very strong in the region? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, um, everyone's pretty aware of the, the those games that go on. Um, yeah, obviously, Taronga Boys and Rotorua Boys have had some pretty big clashes over the years, so it's you know it's important that we tap into that talent as well and make sure that we're we're getting those guys and trying to um, you know I think we've had Taronga boys in during the week and I think the little boys have, have been in as well because um, you know it's good to, to to get those guys involved and get those relationships going. Um, you can see how I think successful Hawks Bay have been through I suppose that young group of guys that came through from Hastings boys I think it was. Um, you know, they're all quite young and now they're sort of, you know, they're really um, showing how good they are for that team and, and those combinations have been working well for them. Mike, um, do you like the format, the odds and evens format? Yeah, I like it. I do like it more than the other format. It's just, um, you know, like teams just chop and change all the time. So I don't think it's a fair sort of... Um, I don't know, uh, sometimes teams are up and down and, and whatnot, so I think it's just good to have a level playing field where teams just get out and go and best team win. There's been some interesting results. I mean, if you look at the uh, both conferences, there are teams in, down the bottom which uh, look like they've struggled, like uh, Manawatu and Southland, but within, the, within those uh, two teams, they've also been quite competitive. But it's, uh, to me, it's, uh, it's emphasised just how even some of these provinces are um, at, at this level. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's been awesome to see, um, you know, Northland and you know everyone sort of. There's no easy games um, with us playing Southland last week. You know, like they're putting a lot of points on teams, just sort of not getting the win. So, you know, as I said, it's an even comp. I think it's great for the rugby. Uh, everyone loves watching it, and um, yeah, so it's, it's it's great for the competition in the sense that even you know we've had a fairly decent run so far, but we're still sort of. <laughs> Still having us to work hard and scramble to get those points, we typically you'd probably be, um, you know, pretty comfortable at this point in time. But it's great for the competition. How how are you going to approach Storm Week then? You've talked about continuity of selection, but uh, if you look at Storm Week, which is very closely followed for you by possibility of uh, playoffs rugby, now how are you going to budget your talent through the, that uh, b- very busy period? Yeah, I've been scratching my head a bit about this, um, especially with the possibility of the Shield game and. And everything like that going on, but we've got to take uh, take each game as it comes. Um, obviously, we can't. You know, there's a there's a big ask on the players to 
to put all those performances in in, in, in that short amount of time. And um, I, I guess having a longer finals period with quarters, semis, finals, you know, there's still a lot of footy to be had. So it's a real balancing act around, um, you know, keeping momentum um, as well as making sure guys are fresh and we're not overcooking them. And, and you know, if things go well, we go through to play playoffs that we've, you know, we're still fit and, and ready to go. So there's a real balancing act there. So, yeah, we'll see how this weekend goes. And, and we've got a couple of plans in place. But I suppose, you know, let's just look at this week and, and then we'll reassess. But a lot of recovery time. Um, I suppose the plus side, having the storm week at the end of the season, is that you know a lot of our details in there. Uh, we can just get out there and recover and, and have a training and be pretty happy with that. So, um, yeah, <laughs> we'll see how we go. Well, that's the Battle of the Bays uh, this weekend, of course, um, and uh, Hawks Bay, of course, now no longer hold the Ranfurly Shield. What are you expecting from them? Yeah, I think they'll be, you know... Like, they had an awesome shift with it. Um, we're pretty impressed with the way they play. Um, they're a pretty exciting team, pretty unpredictable. You know, threats all over the park. But I'm sure they'll they'll bounce back and they'll want to put that right this week. So uh, I can't imagine uh, any changes in their mindset around how they play the game. And then you know, it's as you said, a battle of the bays. And it's always um, you know a great spectacle and and one that yeah, I think both teams put on their calendar is um, you know a really important match for both sides. Always enjoy going to uh, your stadium in particular in uh, Tauranga. It's got a, a nice little feel about it. The, 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 you get a great level of support there. Yeah, we're expecting a big crowd this weekend. Um, I think there's quite a few coming up from, from the Hawks Bay. But, um, yeah, we've, we've had a really good uh, turnout there. And, you know, we've been pretty lucky with the weather's been good for those games. And, um, yeah, like, uh, you know, the, the players enjoy playing there at the... It's a nice small ground and, um, yeah, it's just got a really nice feel there. So the boys are really excited about getting out there again. Um, it's nice to have a storm week with a few games at home. But, um, yeah, it's, we, all, we enjoy playing there. And, yeah, as you say, it's a, it's a nice little ground to get to. It's a good atmosphere. Um, Mike, I just got a text in from uh, Graham from Marlborough who's just said, can I, can I ask you uh, what has happened to Mitch Carpuck of late? Oh, yeah, poor old Carpy. Yeah, he's... Um, he, he was initially going to be involved in our squad, but his, he had shoulder surgery towards uh, last year, um, and, it, and it didn't come right. So he's had to have the operation again. Um, so I just saw him yesterday actually popped in in the sling again, and he's still um, so he's still go through that process again, which is unfortunate for him and us. But um, yeah, he, he'll he'll come back ready to go. Just a, a couple of other things before uh, um, we finish. Uh, Officiating, the, the, you've been around the game a long time at uh, various levels, uh, Mike. I just wonder your impression of uh, of the, fish, uh, the officiating and the game, the you know the, the water breaks, etc. The little innovations they bring. And you you happy with the way the game's being patrolled at the moment? Oh, oh, yes, I don't want to be too harsh. Um, no, I can't say I'm a fan of the water breaks. It's just sort of, I think it actually slows the game down a little bit more. Um, and it can often um, play into the hands of, of teams at times when, you know, if you've got a team under the pump and then a water break happens, it sort of stops a bit of the momentum and flow. But I suppose that, that's for both teams. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I suppose little things. I think teams are getting offside and there's a bit of detail around that stuff. But, um, you know, all in all, I suppose it's, it's a tough old job and, and you know, everyone's going to have their opinion on things. But in terms of the water breaks, probably the, the biggest thing that's, Probably frustrating at the moment. Okay. Um, what did you make of uh, the Bernard Foley situation? Being a former 10 yourself, as a, uh, you know, the, the guy 
charged with the responsibility of uh, goal kicking, kicking the ball into touch, etc. Uh, and the time wasting around the game at that level, do you, is it something you've, that you've uh, been noticing and been aware of? And what, what did you make of the Foley situation? Yeah, like, you know, he got a fair, fair amount of time to kick the ball. I think the problem was that he just didn't kick it. If he'd kicked it and had taken time to walk to the line out, he probably would have had the same result and he couldn't penalise the whole team. Um, so that was probably the, the thing he should have done. But, you know, I've watched a couple of the replays around how many times you've told and I think there was an instance uh, towards the end of the first half. But, um, you know, there's a big emphasis on speeding the game up and, yeah, it was a tough one. You know, if we want to see the ball in play, then, then get the ball out and then they could have taken their time elsewhere. Uh, in terms of uh, the All Blacks, um, you know, I, I just wonder this weekend, uh, they've got, uh, when we're here in a side being named in a couple of hours actually, uh, Mike, but uh, the, the Roger Tuovasa-Shek situation has always been a bit of a talking point since uh, he was uh, transferred across from his duties with the Warriors. Do you think the time is right now? Yeah, well, if he's in the squad, he's good to go. He's good to go. Um, you know, he's obviously a real talent. Um, you know, he's a bit of a handful when, when Penny played Auckland. He's got great feet, um, real threat with the ball. So I suppose that's, that's Fozzie's decision. But, um, yeah, I think he's shown enough with, with his form throughout, and, you know, playing for the Blues. And I, I guess it's probably, um, again, around some continuity stuff around getting the combinations right. Um, it's not sort of often just that one player. It can be how how the whole sort of setup of that backline wants to operate and, and game plan and whatnot. So, yeah, there's a few factors that come into that, but whether or not they do that or put um, Barrett at, at 12, I'm not too sure. Uh, I, Mike, I, I, think um, I think they'll put him in yeah. there. Uh, you think they'll put him in there? Cool. Okay, um, and if there was one clash that Bay of Plenty looked forward to, is it the Waikato one? Is it the Battle of the Kaimais, particularly if there's a possibility of a Ranfurly Shield involved? Yeah, <laughs> It's always been a bit of that, especially with our boys who have been in the Chiefs, you know, um, traditionally with a little brother um, and going over the hill. So for me, that, that, that gets me excited going over there. And, um, you know, last last round Robin game for this year would be awesome to come away with that. Um, but obviously that's out of our hands in terms of, um, you know, they've got to do the job this weekend against the Wellington team that sort of turned their form around a little bit. So, you know, that's a tough ask and going down there to take that off them. But... Yeah, both games very important for us at this time of the season, and points are points are crucial. Cool, Mike. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, good luck with uh, Storm Week. If you get a crack at the Shield, uh, all the best as well. Uh, thanks for catching up, uh, catching us up on uh, what's happening around the Bay of Plenty scene. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, mate. Cheers, uh, Mike Delaney, the head coach of uh, the Bay of Plenty Steamers. They are having a wonderful season. And if they have a good uh, last uh, storm week, uh, I suppose they could finish top of, of the uh, odd section. Gives them all sorts of home advantage, of course, and you can throw in the possibility of holding the Ranfurly Shield. So it's all before them. It really is uh, for the Bay of Plenty Steamers this year. Doing a good job. Mike Delaney will be back shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, that event to uh, find a stadium last night, it looked impressive on the score sheet, doesn't it? Uh, the Silver Ferns 70, Jamaica 45. Now, Jamaica, of course, you had that wonderful Commonwealth Games, but then you've got to factor in the fact that they could only find seven players. They've uh, got an ex-coach back. They've got ex-players back just to try and make up the numbers. Um, was it all that impressive after all? Well, um, former Silver Ferns coach, former Silver Fern herself, of course, uh, as well, Yvonne Willering, 
caught up with the Ricardo Ball just after the final whistle. And these were her thoughts. At the moment, it's very much, I mean, obviously it's about the Ferns. Jamaica, that is not the team that's going to present themselves at the World Championships. But honestly, you know, some of these players have now experienced international netball. So certainly they've been, it's been a benefit to them. How much benefit to the Silver Ferns? They really started slow and there's, you know, they, they indicated right at the start, both, um, Econacio and Fitzpatrick indicated it was about them. Their focus was totally on them and, and their performance and yet in the first and second quarter they actually started very slowly and initially I thought that was the reason why Dame Nolene didn't make the changes they just needed to to improve their performance so whilst they did some good things on the whole I actually was a bit disappointed with the Ferns I thought that the new uh, mid-court combination of Gordon and Cernus and also Royale and Buchanan um, I thought that that would add a lot of speed through that mid-court and I actually don't think it did that tonight Mm, yeah, I mean, because you mentioned, um, you know, combinations, and I think, you know, that uh, that yep. Toyava-Nueki combination, I saw it uh, in the ANZ yep. Prem over the last couple of seasons, has been just so, so effective. Um, how much do you think Peter Toyava has to do to get back in the reckoning? Yeah, but she'd come in once before, and if she's got a tall player marking in front of her, then she has problems with that, where she knows, obviously, yeah, within the Mystic setup, it's a different defensive setup against her. And everyone knows that she's a great feeder, and it surprises me that more people don't really take basic, well, when I say take her out of play, really uh, make her in a situation where she's found wanting, trying to get the ball. Um, you know, and, and it's, Gordon has also been in and out and you, you can also look at other players like you've got your Sam Winders you've got your Maturel sitting there so we've actually got a bunch of players that are sitting in either the Silver Fern squad or the development squad and and Nolene has indicated that they're still like they're still in the equation they're just not there now because you know we've got limit, limited games coming up and against Jamaica right now like even tomorrow's game uh, it Whilst you can work on combinations, sometimes what what you can do now, you're not able to do in, in the really tough games. Like we we did quite a few what I call diagonal passes, and you know ag against a team like Australia, you ain't going to be able to do that because they will intercept it. And also with their defence, um, yeah, you know the big bomb into Grace Nowicki, which we did quite a lot tonight, it's not going to be able to happen, and we cannot rely just on her. And for a while there. Um, Econastio didn't shoot. I mean, she got something like two out of two uh, leading into half time, you know. And 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 Dame Nolene has always indicated, and she said it to Selby Ricketts as well. I need you to turn to the post, and I agree. I think Golatex should be taking some of the shots as well, just to split the defence up from the opposition. So, no, uh, not totally satisfied, uh, Yvonne Willering, with that performance. Uh, as I said, looks uh, good on paper. Bearing in mind Jamaica's recent form, uh, but then you factor in all those other things. Uh, perhaps uh, some improvement for Game 2 tonight, of course. It is 9.31 here on SENZ. It's time to uh, catch up with Araha with the news. Pullback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811.
Right, uh, yes, uh, 0800 uh, Give us uh, your thoughts uh, on uh, what do you think uh, or what would you like to see? What would you really like to see uh, this afternoon or around lunchtime when Ian Foster names his team for Saturday night at Eden Park? Um, what what would be your preference uh, at this, this stage of uh, where we are in the competition and in terms of uh, our year of rugby? Uh, what would you like to see with this final home appearance? Um, Zaid is on the line. Good morning, Zaid. Hi. Just before I get on to what I was going to talk about, do you know what the point start on the TAB is? I mean, throw the goal start for the netball tonight for New Zealand? Uh, we'll work on it while you're making your um, your other okay. points, uh, Zaid. We'll get an answer for you. All good. Thank you. Um, looking forward to tonight as well. Obviously, the All-Whites. Um, I've, I've, I, don't, I don't know if they'll win or not, but there is a good bit I've heard um, just before... Um, on the breakfast show, apparently Chris Wood even to score tonight's paying four dollars and fifty cents any time. You think maybe if the always they're going to at least score one? You think Chris Wood would be the probably most chance of scoring a goal for the All Whites tonight? Um, but I do have an All Blacks team for today as well. Um, who I want names? So I want the group uh, Takiyaho and Lomax, Brody Retallick and uh, Whitelock as usual. Either Barrett or Frizzell at six. I'm not sure if Frizzell, is he not available, maybe? Um, I think he's back, back in the group. So if he's back, maybe Frizzell or Barrett. Um, seven, I want Dalton Papali'i, because it doesn't look like Sam Kane's available. I'd have Artie at eight, Christie at nine. I'd go Barrett at ten. Um, and I'd go Roger and Rico, 12 and 13. And Jordan and Clark and Jordy Barrett at fullback. Would be my fifteen. Right. Okay. Let's uh, just mull over a couple of those ones there. Why no? Why no Mwanga? Why? Uh, why Bowden Barrett? I don't know. I just want to see him get another go. Um, want to see yeah how he how he is. Just give him another go at first five. I think it's time to change it up. Okay. A bit. Last, last game, you know, um, we've already got the British Low Cup. I know it's still a big game. But it's at Eden Park, but I just like to see Barrett and Christie play together. I reckon. Um, just Christie just brings a bit more speed to the number nine jersey, and and he hasn't um hasn't got a start um yet. And I just think, yeah, Aaron Smith, he's been he's been okay, but he's been a bit hit and miss lately. I think it might be a bit better to bring him off the bench with the experience and give Christie a go at nine. I just want to see how he goes. And um, I don't want to see Geordie Barrett at twelve because I think Roger needs to get a go, and he's it's just playing another player out of position. So I think it's good to give Roger a go at 12 and try and start him and see how he goes, you know, in a big test. Okay, Zaid, uh, thanks for that. Uh, I, I can tell you right now, we've searched the markets and at this stage it doesn't appear that they have a netball market up. So we'll keep you posted. If if it does come up, uh, we'll let you know what uh, the, the point start is in terms of uh, Jamaica getting a, a handicap off New Zealand. Uh, thanks, Zaid. Uh, Neville from Dunedin. Good morning, Neville. Good morning, Ian. Um, just just about following up on your talk with your golf man yesterday regarding Brian Fox missing out on the President's Cup. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, his reaction was extraordinarily magnanimous. He's ranked 47th. There are six players ranked below and well below Fox, some of them, um, who Immelman's picked. And the same can be said for um, um, oh, Lucas Herbert, who's ranked 52nd. 
So just to point out, you've got guys ranked 50, 62, 64, 65, 75, and 118, all picked ahead of those two guys. Um, Christian Bazudenhoot, who's a South African, uh, he's managed one top 10 in the season. Um, now we go down to the 118th ranked player, Taylor Pendrith, and people will say, who the hang is he? Um, he played 20 events and managed three top 10s. So, you know, Ryan can feel very, very aggrieved because none of those players ranked below him have had what you would call, you know, an outstanding season. And for Immelman to pick some guy just because he plays a PGA Tour um, and he's really got no form, just just sort of beggars belief. It, it is odd when you, you come up with those numbers. I've got to say, Neville, incidentally, I looked at the market and the President's Cup, the internationals, Neville, are, are rated no chance at all, uh, rankings or not. Uh, I think uh, the market is a dollar twelve. Neville, it's not even worth backing. A dollar twelve uh, for the United States to to win their tenth consecutive Presidents Cup. Uh, John, uh, thanks, Nev. Uh, John from Auckland. Good morning to you, John. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Hey, um, lo and behold, I don't think um, Foster will choose what's his name at fullback, Jordan. So my my lineup, I'll be quick here. Yeah. It's probably Bauer, Tokiaho, um, Lomax. And then you've got Whitelock. He'll probably start at four, actually. Uh, then you've got Retallick. You've got Barrett again on six. Um, Savia, seven. And number eight, we'll probably give another go to Hoskins. Nine will be, you know, stock standard Smith, Wonga, Clark. And then you'd probably have Barrett again at 12. This is how I think he'll go. I, I don't agree with it. 13 will be um, Ioane. 14 will be Jordan. And 15 will be Bowden Barrett. That'll likely be Bowden the team. Uh, um, yes, yes, because that's how they played in Sydney. Oh, sorry, in Melbourne. Um, if you saw that combination there, when Barrett came on early, I think, uh, who got injured? Was it Harvili? Harvili got injured early Harvili. on. Yeah. And then Tupaya, of course. And then Tupaya, yeah. and Barrett had to play pretty much the whole game. And he mainly played at uh, first receiver, but he was playing fullback most of the time. So I think they'll go that way, mate. Um, only because... You know, knowing Foster, he doesn't really pull any surprises as such. Um, and Bauer, he was awesome when he came on in the front row. He kind of, um, you know, held that scrum together on the loose. Uh, the group, he was, he kind of got found out against um, a pretty good Ala Latour. So I think Bauer will get the start there. Anyway, Smithy, I'm yeah, nice I, and quick. They've got millions of callers. I, I, I agree with you, actually, um, about the scrum. I, I don't think it was at, at absolutely brilliant at the weekend. Uh, having been so good initially, uh, they've started to be worked out a wee bit. Uh, and it's not often that Australian scrums monster us, and it did on a couple of occasions there. So yeah, good points, John. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, Dino, patient Dino, good morning to you, Dean. Yes, maybe I'll be quick. Um, I don't know why Ryan Fox doesn't take the money and go to that Saudi thing. Well, he's capable of getting some good coin like but I'd do if I was him to be brutally honest money talks all the good players are going so why wouldn't he but on the All Blacks 
what we'd like to see and what we're going to see is probably two, two totally different things. What I'd like to see is Smith, Mawanga, Geordie Barrett, um, Fainuku, Rico at 11, uh, Reese, or RTS. I honestly believe he could play on the wing, and the fact that he's working so hard, I'm never going to see him as a midfielder, if you ask me. And uh, Geordie at fullback, but the loose forwards I'd have for Zell, Artie at 7, and Jacobson at 8. But Fifth Force is not going to do that because he doesn't want to be told, I told you so. It's just short man's disease all over the damn team. Like, everyone that loves the game, well, 90% of them, I think, would probably agree, apart from Zabe and Auckland might not agree, but RTS, for me, talented, talented footballer, great attitude to training, diet, everything. But it's just a bridge too far in midfield. But put him on the wing. Caleb Clark's got so much to learn on defence. And even attack if you ask me. Like he's ran out in South Africa, he ran into his teammate who's the fastest man on the pitch in Australia. Give him a rest or send him back to NPC and learn how to play rugby properly. But yeah, that's what I'd like to see. I reckon Leicester can play centre better than anyone they've got in the squad. And Geordie is a natural twelve. He's a Clyde Dale fullback. He's brilliant on defence, but offers bugger all on attack, whereas you've got the best attacking force in the country. And Forster just doesn't want to admit he's got him in the wrong spot defies logic but that's just the man okay Dino thank you very much for that um, we'll just see uh, when this uh, team comes out later this morning uh, how close uh, everyone is to the mark there are a lot of variations I suppose that shows versatility within the group but still uh, a lot of people not content uh, with what they're seeing line up from our point of view uh, Joey from Auckland good morning to you Joey yeah g'day Smilly look um, I'd, uh, in the forwards I'd, uh, I'd have um, I'd put a carry one at number eight, actually. Um, I think when he came on, even though they're, they're getting tired at that stage, I think he, he made more more ground going forward than off the back of the scrum than Tutu does at the moment. And I, I would um, put Ali Savir at, at the open side. Um, if you're going to play Geordie Barrett at second five, I'd play Bowden at first five, the two brothers. Otherwise, you play um, uh, Tuvasa Shek. Because uh, I was talking to staff yesterday, and, and Tuivasa Shek needs to play to see whether he he is going to go on the tour at the end of the year, you know, uh, with them. And and he's going to play in front of his home crowd, Smithy, fifty thousand people. What more do you want as a player to play in front of your home crowd at fifty thousand people that are backing you to do really really well at second five eight? Mm. Um, and if he plays second five eight, well, Geordie Barrett stays at fullback. Um, they're, they're not going to. Ch- Change like Dino said, they won't change much. Um, Foster doesn't change too much, um, you know, apart from guys that are getting concussed or, or injured. So, you know, that's what I'd do. And, and it just gives two of us a check at, um, time in the, in the saddle, if you want to put it, and to see what he can do against a, a pretty damn good Australian side. Totally agree. I, I totally agree it's time. Uh, uh, and I, I'm looking for that. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing just how they're going to use him, Joey. Uh, and uh, you're right, the stage is perfect. Uh, he's a big match player. He's handled uh, sellout crowds in rugby league, etc. Uh, and I, I just uh, I think it, it, it is time that we find out just what this guy's made of and what, um, what strides he's made towards uh, making the jump from one code to another. Uh, I just think it, it would be perfect, the perfect opportunity. Uh, to find that out, so we'll see. Um, do we time, have time for uh, any more? We'll take Dave from Palmerston North. Dave, good morning to you. Good morning, Smitty. 
Hey, look, I'd have, um, I'd like the idea of Bauer coming in. Also have uh, Artie at seven. Give us two to another go, but have Jake and Sim on the bench. And then at first five and second five, I'd have Bodie and Geordie. Look, they've been playing in the back garden for 20-odd years. Last time we won under 20s, uh, six years ago, Geordie was at second five. Put RTS on the wing. Uh, maybe give Caleb Clark a weekend off and have um, RTS is going up. Uh, have a yeah. If RTS is going good at half time, then move him into second five. Have a bit of a swap around after we've uh, sealed the game. You know, you'll be less exposed on the wing. Um, I heard Dino on Monday say that he got you know outplayed by the Tasman second five on the weekend. So you don't want to put him. In that cauldron, you know, under pressure, even in it, in front of his home team, in that sort of environment without us. We don't want to lose at Eden Park. We just don't want to lose at Eden Park. And those Aussies are going to be dirty after last week. Real dirty. And we know what Aussies are like when the, uh, their back's against the wall. They're going to be dirty, all right. Uh, they're pretty dirty over the whole thing. And now, uh, having defended Darcy Swain to the hilt, all of them, they find out they're not going to have his services for six weeks as well. So it's been... Pretty tough if you take the last two minutes of last week uh, and this week. Not a lot for Dave Rennie and Co to smile about. Maybe that'll make them hugely, hugely determined. We shall see. Uh, right, OK, it is uh, time to uh, wind that up. Thanks very much, all of you, for your contributions uh, on the phone this morning. The boys will get hold of uh, who they believe is uh, worthy of the Chemist Warehouse voucher. If it was me, I'd give you all one. Uh, how we haven't said that, we haven't got that many to give away. It's 9.46 here. Uh, we'll be back shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Found a window for Zane from uh, the wonderful Parapara Umu. Zane, good morning to you. Good morning, Smitty. Good to be back after five weeks in Japan, uh, working my way around the fairways here, so I thought I'd better give you a quick call. <laughs> hey, yeah. Uh, good on you, on mate. A, on RTS. On RTS, mate, you know how much of a Warriors fan I am, and I, I love the guy, but I'm wondering if we're getting a little bit of motive about this. Um, how many second fives have we had play for the ABs this year? Do you know? Is it four? At least four, I would be thinking. And we don't have Goodhue or Leonard Brown there, right? So how many uh, midfield backs do we take to World Cup? Four? I can't We've see how he fits in. L- only... At least four, yeah. Right, he, he plays second five, that's it. You've got Havili, who's got diversity at second five. You've got Leonard Brown and Goodhue who've got the experience, and they love Rico. Um, why are we trying to force him in there? Because he's pretty much got no hope of making the World Cup, so shouldn't we be building towards that rather than giving a guy a go as a bit of a circus act? Oh, I think it's a fair point, Zane. Um, and and uh, you're not alone in that school of thought. Um, a, a lot of people just uh, wondered why we, we jumped at him and what he'd done to, to actually um, you know, to, to get the nod into the squad. And he's been there right from uh, day one. Uh, there's been no doubt about it. And maybe there was some sort of assurance given that that would be the case but um, either they're not they're not happy uh, with um, the way he has developed uh, or they're just not confident enough to use him uh, I don't know Zane uh, but hey mate enjoy those fairways we, we've got to fly but enjoy the fairways very jealous that you get to uh, play there as your backyard Parapara Umu Beach wonderful golf course uh, we'll be back shortly with a, a multi and there's golf in this one too Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Close to a good one yesterday, very close. Taranaki did beat County's uh, Monaco and uh, Louis' uh, horse Wild Knight got up and raced three at Matamata. 
so that was making the multi and then uh, all of a sudden the Texas Rangers fell over to the LA Angels so uh, I'm going to back the Rangers today uh, again against the LA Angels I'm going to show the face uh, there's a game of cricket, uh, T20 cricket uh, in the early hours of tomorrow morning England to beat Pakistan at $1.95 uh, the Rangers uh, at $1.66 and, and golf, Ryan Fox to beat uh, Rasmus Hogard. Rasmus Hogard, who's uh, one of two exciting young brothers uh, on the DP Tour uh, but Ryan Fox uh, is playing in the French Open tonight and head to head in round one uh, Ryan Fox to beat him at $1.74 $1.74 so uh, that multi's up at $5.63, multi with a bit of a difference there. Uh, so uh, after the uh, break, we're going to be talking to uh, our very own Aroa Hathaway about uh, Formula One. It's uh, been a while since we've had a catch-up. The season's still going, 2022, and uh, already they have released uh, the 2023 schedule as well. Some talking points there. Coming up shortly, but first of all, here's Aroa with the news. Well, yesterday the FIA announced a massive 2023 calendar for Formula One fans to get excited about. 24 races in all, making it the longest season to date, with a few historic firsts, including the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix. Uh, The problem is, the Formula One teams weren't advised of the release, and so the ongoing fractious relationship between the two parties seems to continue on. Uh, to talk about that and other issues around the schedule, and uh, it's, of course it's uh, still going, the Formula 1 is still going in this calendar year, uh, we've got uh, our very own uh, Arawa Hathaway, who is just sitting there poised uh, in the studio, absolutely um, full of knowledge here uh, Aroha, about this. Uh, first of all, is it, is it a bit weird that uh, the, the teams weren't aware that that this was going to be released, they're caught by surprise. Nothing's weird in Formula One now, Smithy. You know, Daniel Ricciardo, oh, I'm sweet till the end of next year, Nick minute, no seat. So, <laughs> you know, who'd want to be an Aussie Formula One driver? You know the funniest, you know what is weird about that Daniel Ricciardo thing is that the dude who's taking his seat is also an Australian and his manager is Mark Webber, who is also an Australian who also raced for Red Bull, just like Daniel Ricciardo did. Hey, I don't know about the teams not knowing about what the FIA was doing, but I do know that they don't know in general what the FIA is doing. That's the vibe they give off all the time. It's like, oh, well, here are some regulations. We won't follow them. And now Lewis Hamilton hasn't won an eighth world championship. And then they'll change it all around next week. And then they'll make up some new rules about track limits. So sometimes Formula One gets a bit of bad press because it can be seen to be inconsistent. I like the calendar, but then I'm not the person who has to compete in a sport from February through to November 26. That's a long season. It's a hellishly long season uh, when you consider the stress levels involved. and We're just not talking about race day here. We're talking about uh, all the other days where you're in the the seat testing and and getting prepared and and Mm. then you know, I mean, the stress involved uh, in the industry um, is quite severe. And it's only increased since Netflix decided to turn the sport into, some people call it a mockumentary, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Mm. Um, but, you know, the other thing I want to say, I always quantify this by saying I am only a hashtag fan, right? I'm I'm not a sport specialist journalist for Formula One. It's my specialist entertainment um, watch through a weekend. I watch it with the greatest 
of enthusiasm. So I'm not an authority on it. And people will agree with me and disagree with me. And I run into people in the office all the time who hate my favourite drivers with a passion. And I just love winding them up. It makes more of the sport. Um, So, Smithy, what do you want to know about this calendar? Do you want to go to Las Vegas? Is that us? Are we on? That would be great, fantastic. And I, you know what it staggers me is that it's never been there before. I mean, it's the city of entertainment in the world, the world's God, entertainment capital. I don't, Why has it taken so long to get there? Because it's not really, you know, you can't drive fast cars through Las Vegas <laughs> very often. No, you know, 20 cars moving at 300 kilometres an hour. Well, maybe not that fast through Las Vegas. You know, it's a street race. So first you have to get the track like if I were to turn around to Auckland City Council and say, hey, let's chuck a, a race through the city streets, where, how? And all those business people would be moaning about their streets being cut off for you know four days because it's not just a night. It's over a period of days. The great thing about the Las Vegas race, night race, just like Singapore, and it's actually happening on a Saturday night, not a Sunday. Usually um, race day is Sunday, but they're doing it on a Saturday night in Las Vegas. It's going to be wild. I think so wild that I wouldn't want to be there. I just want to read about it the next day. Well, it's uh, November the 18th, so it's the second last one on the calendar, which begins on March the 5th in Bahrain. And I just had a, a, look, a quick recce myself for uh, four uh, uh, Grand Prix in that part of the world. Uh, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, the first mm. two. Then you go to uh, Qatar in, on October the 8th. And then, of course, you've got the very final one in, in Abu Dhabi. So we can see that uh, money talks in that yeah. part of the world so and attracts. That part of the world has four races. If we look at – it was really interesting because we were talking about how money is affecting the game, if, if you like. So it's been hugely monetized. It was one of the most – it was one of the first sports to get going again during the pandemic. So it's managed to build up a, a like a bit of a steamroller effect, I suppose, and with Netflix helping that momentum. But if we look at those four races, and then we also look to the United States, before Austin, there were no Grand Prix in America. Now there are three next year. So we have Austin, which is a huge fan, everyone's a huge fan of. Um, Miami had their first Grand Prix this year. And then next year, you've got Las Vegas added to that American calendar as well. And there's an American team in Formula One now with Haas. They've managed to hang in there by the skin of their teeth. They've actually had an okay season this year with Kevin Magnussen making his grand comeback. Um, But they've been pushing for an American driver as well. Um, Colton Herter, Looked like he might be able to get a seat for next year, but he doesn't have enough super points, and I don't think... Again, if the rules were implemented that they have now on someone like Max Verstappen, when he first started, he wouldn't have been allowed a super licence under the current rules, but Colton hasn't been allowed to come in. No exceptions for the American. Why is there... And and it's been quite some time... um, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brains here... Uh, American driver when motor racing is such a huge thing in that continent I, I just don't I don't understand if if one is well it's a class thing too right so if you look I mean the purest of the sport wouldn't say that but it's kind of it's a European format it's always been a European heavy league you have Finnish drivers you every if you're a, it's it's, it's I guess the snobbery of it is that IndyCar isn't as good as Formula One. If you talk to the Formula One drivers, and the IndyCar drivers will tell you that 
uh, IndyCar drivers are a heck of a lot tougher than Formula One drivers because the cars stick to the road for Formula One and IndyCar drivers actually have to turn the steering wheel. So there's a bit mm. of, you know, I guess you could say the same thing about rugby and league and where are those two different things popular even though they look and smell the same to the uneducated. Um, but Formula One, I don't know that this season has been fun. I look forward to next season with great enthusiasm because it's just okay, well, got boring. Yeah. I'm so well, has, bored. Uh, I know why, um, because Verstappen has just cleared out on the bunch. 11 wins. Uh, it's been so dominant. I'm happy uh, we for might not be able to. We might be able to get you to uh, Las Vegas uh, around November the 18th. Surely we can get you to Melbourne. Uh, oh. Around uh, April the 2nd. So I'm supposed to be in Singapore for the next race, but I had to can it. My bank balance is much healthier as a result, but that would right. have been amazing. Singapore is one of the most expensive of, on the circuit just because it's like tourist town and you go there at peak travel times too. So, you know, a trip to the Singapore Grand Prix would probably cost you about six grand. You know, Willamant Travel, who um, did the trip, the, the quizzy dag thing, they were doing a trip to Singapore Grand Prix too. But next year, I think this gives you all plenty of time to plan. You know, November, I've got a year to get my act together, Smithy. Yeah. See how uh, many. Okay, let's uh, look at other aspects of it. Are there, are there venues that disappoint you or surprise you? Uh, well, no, unsurprisingly, no race in Russia. Uh, no race in France. And... They had actually, so you have contracts if you're hosting, if you have the race coming to your town, you have a certain number of seasons put into your contract and their contract would basically at an end and it just wasn't renewed. But the good old heads at FIA, Stefano Domenicali, has said that he will consider putting France back on the calendar. It might even get, you know, there maybe once every two years, you know, biannual, biannually. Is that a word? It is now. Yes, at Monza, is. Monza, good old Monza. Monza back. Which is your favourite race? Because they didn't know whether they were going to keep Monza. Because Monza, it's a great word. I think I might just say it. And Monaco. Monaco was looking like it was going to get ditched as well. But thank goodness we get to see Charles Leclerc crash there again next year. Well, okay, that's cool. Um, If I'm around, if I was around that part of the world, I would make a point of going to Silverstone. Uh, There's something about the British Grand Prix, uh, in my history anyway, that suggests um, a fondness for that particular event. There you I, go. I'd like to be there too. I'd like to be there, but only if Lewis wins. I don't want to be there if he doesn't, because I feel like you'd just be depressed. You'd dro- gone all that way, and then the dude doesn't take out the win. And you have to say it like the posh people there do. It's Silverstone. Silverstone. You know, <laughs> Silverstone okay. is the name of the track. Um, my favourite race on next year's calendar is still Monaco. Monaco dictates. I just re-watched Lewis Hamilton's Monaco win when his tyres were like 722 laps old and he kept everybody three seconds slower than they could race and he still wins the race. Monaco is dictated by where you qualify and if you have pole, you can mm. usually win it. And I really love the fact that Monaco is still there because people are... It's the whole F1 vibe, the boats, the champagne and also... On top of all of that, you know, it is one of the most unsustainable, unfriendly planet sports in the world. I feel bad sometimes that this is one of my favourite sports because it uses so much fuel, so many miles. It leaves such a big carbon footprint. Um, 
I suppose that's why all of the drivers are turning into activists. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting point of view. It's not going to change next year with the increased schedule. No, so they put, they put you, more races on. Yeah, it's funny they put though, more isn't races it? On. Yeah. So, I mean, if there is any race on that calendar that I would want to go to in my life, it would be Monaco. But twenty-four races, just to put it into perspective, in twenty thirteen mm. there were only nineteen, and way back when racing started in like nineteen, when it was finally called, you know. The, the big competition uh, in 1950 when they started this competition, it was like seven races. 1993, 16 races, and now we're up to 24. 1953, nine races. So we have more than doubled what Formula One drivers used to do in a season. Right, let's look at, uh, because this one, this season is not finished yet, uh, it's been the Verstappen show, as I said, 11 Pod, uh, 13 podiums, 11 wins, quite outstanding. A points uh, lead now that cannot be gazumped. Um, so Verstappen, outstanding Red Bull. Anything to say that Red Bull will not dominate next year? What, what are your predictions uh, when you look at the schedule? You look at Lewis Hamilton, who you want to be a factor, sitting at sixth. Yeah, he hasn't done too bad, though. I feel like Lewis has been taking all the risks, experimental you know, drives, and he's... He, he doesn't want to come last, of course, but he, he takes some risks during free practice, etc. And they've done okay for a team that looked like it was going to be a, I want to say snot rag of a car, <laughs> and I just did. Yeah. And, but they've done okay. You know, they've been pulling podiums, and George Russell has been driving really well. And Lewis has been happy to develop the car. I actually think he'd be really happy to dig a hole, bury that vehicle and just get on to next year, but is enjoying the challenge anyway. What I hope happens is there's that law of diminishing returns, right? So when they first went into this era of car, Mercedes just, they blew it out of the water and they were pulled back, but it took what, seven, eight years for the other teams to really start to pull it back? Will it take that long for these other teams to develop enough to surpass Red Bull? Red Bull's ferociously fast. Ferrari looked like it was able to keep keep up. And sometimes they do. They don't have kind of the, um, the straight line speed, I think, that the Red Bulls have. It depends on how they have their downfall set up. But that's the only car that can really compete with them. All the other cars, it's almost like there's one race, which is Red Bull and Ferrari when they don't crash, and then there's everybody else. And if we just had everybody else, it would be such an exciting race because the amount of overtakes and the battles that go on throughout the race and the other part of the pack are great fun. But if Ferrari crashes out or if they make a bad call strategically, it's the most boring, depressing race and I need a whiskey chaser at the end of it. Just just finally, um, and that's an interesting point you make, um, where do they get the personalities from? I mean, Verstappen. I, I don't even think I've seen a photo of Max Verstappen. What? I, what? A, I, I, just where's the personality? Where are where are they up front? You know, superstar personalities uh, in the game. Uh, I would say that just they've all had to learn how to be that. They're actually the younger ones are much more media savvy. And Lando Norris is probably one of the most famous people on the planet now because he's also an, a Twitch gamer. And he has quadrant and you can just go down a rabbit hole with those guys and watch them playing weird games over the interweb. Is that something you'd be interested in, Smithy? Is that sport to you? Not for me. Okay. Not well, for age. everybody else under the age of about 12, they love it. And so Lando <laughs> Norris 
unfortunately, there's a mother's brigade too. So Lando Norris has all these 40-something-year-old women watching him online, which is a bit creepy. So he's famous with the petrol heads. He's famous with mums and all your kids. So he's probably the most well-known besides Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, and then, of course, Charles Leclerc is just beautiful. Mm. You know, he could he's so pretty, you couldn't. I feel like anything about appearance you can't talk about in 2022, so I'll stop now. Okay. Those are your superstars. The Kimi Raikkonen's of the yeah. of the world were fantastic because they were so, uh, I want to say disgruntled, but quiet. They had this kind of, you know, superstar personality for being not a, a participant. Now it's the opposite. They're all media savvy. They walk around. If you ever get to see a picture of the paddock, um, from above, you will see that every single driver has about three or four media people around them with cameras all the time. They are constantly mm. followed by cameras. So those are your superstars, your Max, um, George Russell a little bit, Lewis always because people people love him or hate him, uh, Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz too is quite funny, and also there are spin-offs now. So he, Formula One has spin-offs with it's Netflix series. Then there are YouTube spin-offs with people doing parodies of the drivers. It's become a whole genre of its own. It far surpasses any other kind of sport in terms of the breadth of coverage. But people can Fantastic. disagree with me if they like. And on that subject, I thank you very much for your update and your opinions. And if it comes to a vote, I'm voting you for Las Vegas. There you go. Hashtag, hashtag LV. Me, you, Smithy. Okay, cool. Araha, as always, thank you very much for your input there, uh, making me much more enlightened, and I shall look out for those superstars a lot more in season 2023, I promise you. It is 10.20 here on SENZ. We have a panel looming. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ollie Ritchie with us this morning, as is Graham Beasley, and uh, we've got plenty to get through, gentlemen. So, uh, first of all, Ollie Ritchie, the verdict is out. Six weeks for Darcy Swain. What do you reckon? Uh, it was. It had to be a, a minimum of, of six weeks, I think, for that for that sickening clean out. Um, Smithy, quite. Uh, I suppose clever if you're rugby Australia and the way they've managed to to wrangle this, put him in the Australia A squad. There's three games there. Uh, that he'll miss, uh, meaning he'll only miss three three Wallabies tests. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to see him out for rugby for the rest of the year. T- to be honest, um, Quintu Pye was was no threat to the ball there at all, um, and it was just a sickening, thuggish clean out uh, that needs to be stamped out of the game. I would have liked to have seen them come down really hard on him with a backhand for the rest of the year, um, but you know. Six weeks means he'll be back around November 6th, I think, so he might get a couple of games there for the Wallabies. I'd like to have seen that um, scrapped as well. I, I think that was the absolute minimum it could have been, um, but in the end, he's going to miss a lot of rugby, which um, I think is the right call uh, after that. I hope it set a precedent for him. Um, he is um, a bit of a volatile character. I remember uh, the headbutting scenario he had against uh, England as well. Uh, Graham Beasley, of course, from Sports Freak. Uh, Graham, what is your take on it? Well, I think he's got some good lawyers, um, Mr. Swain, I'd imagine, because they've managed to convince people that it was not intentional. Um, now, I think to all of us it looked pretty intentional, but maybe if you've got a really smart lawyer, it's really hard to prove that um, 100%. So 
I think he got a good lawyer in there, um, six weeks. To be honest, it's probably likely, I think, given given that they do tend to go a bit soft on things. And again, it was a mid-level um, penalty, whatever that means. Um, so, so they weren't going to go hard on that. And yeah, Australia Rugby hasn't missed a trick, has it, by putting on that um, Australia 8 to... Um, no, they have not. They, they, they preempted actually, didn't they? That, that was the announced beforehand. Uh, uh, Graham, uh, the netball last night, uh, they finally got on court. Um, Jamaica of some sort of substance uh, t- took a hammering from the Silver Ferns, which I, I guess on paper was always going to be the case. But what a bizarre set of circumstances this uh, tiny Jamison uh, trophy has been, Graham. Yeah, and through, through no fault of uh, NCD Netball, this has ended up being a bit of a You've got to give credit to the Jamaican squad, though, for, for making it happen. It would have been pretty easy just to say, oh, no, you know, we just haven't got enough players. And, you know, to have Connie Francis, the coach, um, available as a sub, I mean, she, she made her international debut in 1985, which is the same year that... Um, Bozzy uh, Mathram and Ken Rutherford made their um, international debut, and a year before Snorkis Patch made his. So that sort of shows how long she's been around. So um, I do think good on them for giving it a go. Ollie, what do you make of it? Oh, it's farcical, isn't it? And and I must point out again, much the same, it is no fault of Netball New Zealand at all. But the fact that, that the Jamaicans only came out with, with seven players, um, you know. Was a was a sure sign that um, this series was dead in the water before it had even started, um, and it's it's a shame because you know Jamaica at their best play really exciting netball and, and netball that really challenges the Silver Ferns, and I think it would have been a really good challenge uh, for the Silver Ferns, of course, heading into a World Cup year next year. So it's a shame that it's it's come to this kind of situation where we know the Silver Ferns are going to win and, and win pretty comfortably, and it's like another training run for them. Um, so, like, I would have liked to have seen a really good uh, series, a strong series, a strong build-up to to that World Cup next year against a team that I think can challenge the Silver Ferns in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, we're not going to get that. Um, and, you know, it's kind of not like a box ticking tonight, you know, pick the game off, but mm. we know the Ferns are going to win and win quite comfortably. Yeah, it is, actually. Um, I think it's a great shame because I was actually so looking forward to watching them play against Jamaica because Jamaica mm. were fantastic in the Commonwealth Games. I thought it would have been a hell of a match-up, but it's just it's fizzled. I'm sorry, it's fizzled. And, and as you say, uh, no one to blame on this uh, side of the ledger, that's for sure. 10.30 here on SENC. We'll take a, a short break uh, for the news with uh, Aroha, and uh, then we'll come back. We'll look at uh, possible all-black lineup. Uh, we'll, of course, the all-whites are in action tonight, so... Plenty still uh, to talk about with Graham Beasley and with Ollie Ritchie. A panel. Ollie Ritchie and Graham Beasley with us this morning on the panel. And uh, Graham, uh, I noticed uh, a story coming through in terms of cricket. Uh, England and Australia now are to play five-day women's cricket tests. Uh, and uh, that's for the Ashes next year. They haven't played since 1992 for that long they've had four day test matches and it begs the question a lot of people ask me why don't New Zealand play test cricket women's test cricket Graham what, what, what do you know about that uh, well, hope, hopefully that will start again at some stage I mean yeah, we just look at um, uh, at this story with the Ashes with the women's Ashes being a five day test we just look at that with envy really don't we um, you know <laughs> we'd, we'd probably be happy with a three day test at the moment but um I'd like to think that with the um, improved 
player contract set up that we've got now um, that they might start to, to look at that. But of course, you know, we've got to play against someone. And women's cricket, even more so than men's cricket, just seems to be Australia, England and India. Um, so it's pretty hard for us to get this going. It is actually finding a window for it. I, I would imagine is uh, is is very interesting uh, indeed, and getting the right kind of coverage to to balance that as well. So uh, we'll keep a, keep an eye on um, that one. Um, uh, all Blacks and the, uh, to... um, and the right kind of preparation as well. You know, we yeah, don't play it, through it's true. Um, uh, women's first class cricket, but uh, it, it it could be a bit of a chicken and egg um, scenario if they do manage to to set up a test series against something. Then we can have a domestic. Um, four-day uh, competition to um, uh, to prepare for that. Yeah, absolutely right. I uh, hadn't thought of that, to be perfectly honest, but they do need a grounding uh, to be able to do that. Uh, certainly if they've got that uh, in England, um, not so much in Australia, but they certainly play a lot more cricket uh, around Australia, uh, the women with their various competitions. Um, Ollie Ritchie, All Blacks uh, naming probably in around about an hour's time. What are you expecting this time from Ian Foster? Yeah, a few changes. Certainly on the way, uh, obviously forced with those injuries that were picked up in, in Melbourne last week. So I expect Geordie Barrett to get the nod at, at second five and, and probably Bowden to start at fullback. Um, you know, he has the option of, of starting Roger Tuivasa-Shek there, but I expect um, RTS to come off the bench in this one, which is a really interesting scenario, right? Like, you've got to think, what what is the plan with Roger Tuivasa-Shek at the moment if he is favouring playing a fullback out of position at second five and he has openly said Ian Foster that he doesn't really see Geordie Barrett as a second five more a fullback who can cover second five if need be so if he opts to start Geordie Barrett at second five which I think he will then I think that casts a massive amount of doubt over where Roger Duivasashek sits uh, at the moment if you've got two uh, second five injured and the option is still to start someone out of position at second five rather than start Roger Tuivasa-Shek at second five uh, then I think we have uh, a massive amount of doubt over where RTS sits at the moment. Other than that I think Sam Kane will probably be scratched I don't think they'll risk him given uh, that HIA he went he underwent so probably Artie Savi at a captain and probably Dalton Papali'i uh, to start at open side flanker as well but certainly the big talking point Will be that midfield makeup and and what happens with Geordie Barrett and RCS. Okay, so uh, Ollie, the world's crying out for Will Jordan to start at fifteen, uh, but you see Bowden Barrett starting there. I don't think I don't think Ian Foster sees Will Jordan as an as an international fifteen. To be perfectly honest, Smithy, he's had ample chance to play him there, and he never has. He's always gone for the wing option. So I think it says to me that he doesn't see Will Jordan as a fullback option and instead he would rather keep him on the wing and put Bowden Barrett back at fullback, go with those dual playmaker options um, and put RTS on the bench. I agree. I think we have to see Will Jordan play at fullback because he's been the best fullback in Super Rugby for a couple of years now. We've seen what he's able to do, particularly in broken play. Um, he just lives off it. So I would love to see him get a chance at fullback. I just don't think Ian Foster's going to do it. Okay, interesting. Uh, Graham Beasley, what are your thoughts? I, I think they've handled um, Roger Tuivasa-Shek really badly, actually. Um, you know, paying all that money, getting him over from league. I know they had a, a, a bit of bad luck in that he, um, he, he couldn't play for Auckland in the MPC last year, so that was out of their control. But he's been in the squad now, you know, for these eight or nine or ten years, however many it is, and he's, he's, he's hardly been, been out there. Um, and I don't really see how that's developing his rugby union game at all. I'd love to see him start in the weekend, 
but I just get the feeling that he probably won't. And 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 the whole Will, Will Jordan thing's really strange as well. Um, and and if Geordie Barrett does go to twelve and Bowden Barrett goes to fifteen this weekend, that that proves that the, that they aren't going to play him at fullback, which seems strange given um, given that he's the best fullback in the world. It seems um, really odd. It does. Uh, it does seem odd. Uh, you're absolutely right about that, uh, Graham. Uh, the All Whites are playing Australia tonight in Brisbane. Uh, then back here at uh, Eden Park on uh, Sunday. First time in 11 years we've played them, and we haven't beaten them since 2002. What are you expecting? I'm really looking forward to tonight. Um, a lot, actually, and and also um, uh, Sunday, obviously. So I checked that that 2002 game, which was played at what was called Ericsson Stadium at the time. They got 4,000 people for that. Isn't that amazing? You know, they're, they're talking about 35,000 this, this weekend. So I think maybe the small crowds that, that they used to get when we played them more regularly is part of this. But I don't see any reason why we can't play Australia annually, even if it's not quite the full-strength side. You know, I had people coming out from Europe, etc. for these games might be a bit tough. But even if it was sort of basically A-League and MLS-based players for both sides, I think it really should become an annual fixture, um, ideally on the same kind of day every year, maybe uh, around that Anzac Day sort of period, um, if there's a FIFA window close to that. And then, you know, it's a, it's a thing that we can really get in behind. I, I like it. I like it. I like playing for the Steve Sumner Memorial Trophy. I, I think that could be part of it as well, um, Ollie Ritchie. But certainly ties have to be, they have to be more regular and the tie itself... Uh, between Australia and New Zealand certainly has to be stronger, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. And I, I completely agree that it, 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 I feel like there's an opportunity there to make it an, an annual fixture. And, and like you rightfully say, even if you're not getting the best players out of Europe, you know, make it, you know, your, your all-stars from, from the A-League and the MLS. I, I agree with that concept. Um, I am struggling to get excited about this weekend, though. I won't, I won't lie to you. Um, you know, I think I'd be more excited if the All Whites had qualified for the World Cup. This feels like a little bit of a warm-up game for the for the Aussies before they go to the World Cup. Um, so I do struggle to get excited about this one. But I think there's an opportunity there to, to make it an annual fixture going forward. And, you know, we see that trans-Tasman rivalry is so strong across so many sports. It would be great if football um, could start doing the same. Uh, Ollie, uh, the last hit out for the Black Ferns uh, this uh, Saturday... Um, before the World Cup, if, if I had to ask you uh, about how far you think they've come uh, under Wayne Smith, are you confident they've closed that gap that, that was so glaringly exposed in Europe? Um, I mean, we're not we're not going to find out until the World Cup, really, are we? Because all we've seen the players against, um, you know, the, the Aussies and, and Canada, the US, and now, now Japan this weekend, so. The, the real proof will be in the pudding at the World Cup. Um, I think I, I am liking what I'm seeing from the Black Ferns under Wayne Smith. They, I feel like they're playing a lot more ambitious rugby. Um, I remember being in, in Tauranga for the, for the first test and they were with dreadful conditions and they were just prepared to throw the ball around and run it from anywhere. Now, they probably did that a bit too much and it cost them a bit, but the general game plan was there. They're playing good, ambitious rugby, so that's going to help them. England and France are very much the teams to beat at this World Cup. They are a force in the women's game. England have a 96% win record since the 2017 World Cup final where they lost to the Blackburns. They are phenomenal. They are very much the teams to beat. Don't sleep on Canada either. I've been impressed with uh, some of the stuff I've seen from them. But certainly I think there's a lot of growth in that Blackburns team. A good opportunity to throw 
some of those sevens players back in. Sarah Hidney, who hasn't played 15s for a while, a good chance for her uh, this weekend. I think we've closed the gap, but I still think that France and England are very much the front runners. Ollie Ritchie and uh, Graham Beasley have been our guests uh, on the panel this morning. I thank you, gentlemen, uh, for your contribution. We shall have uh, another panel uh, tomorrow morning, of course, uh, around about the same time with a lot more issues to talk about, including um, uh, the confirmation, I guess, of the uh, all-black side. So uh, we've uh, we've got uh, a little break to take when we come back. Uh, we have a number of texts to get through as well, and then we'll uh, have a chat to Louis Herman Watt, <coughs> even though the races at Woodville have been abandoned yet again. Uh, and Pip Morris, hopefully, from the TAB, because the Greyhounds will continue to race. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. Rightio, uh, our uh, Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose horse tonight uh, goes round at 8.20 at Addington. Uh, it is race seven, number two, Rita Bonita. Rita Bonita looked a tad unlucky last time, has a better draw this time around, and gets some of this, uh, maybe, at a decent old price as well. So Rita Bonita, 8.20 tonight, down there in Christchurch. And uh, any proceeds that we get, of course, goes to our charity of choice, which is Women's Refuge. We'll have a greyhound for you in the next hour uh, along the same lines. Uh, text, hey Smithy, is the T20 World Cup on Sky or Spark Sport? It is on Sky Television. Uh, every single game will be on Sky Television. Uh, New Zealand's big first encounter is on October the 22nd. October the 22nd. That is at the Sydney Cricket Ground, and that, of course, is against Australia. So uh, we'll have that. We have the radio rights here, though, I can tell you that. Uh, so if you aren't able to watch it on telly or your preference is to uh, listen to it on the radio, if you haven't got tele, uh, Sky or Spark, you can listen to it. Spark doesn't matter. Uh, Sky, uh, if, in terms of... I won't say Spark doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in this case, OK? Uh, funny look there from uh, Logan Swinkles. Uh, it doesn't matter in this case, of course, because they do not have the rights for this. But we do have the radio rights, I'm pleased to say, on SENZ. Uh, hey Smithy, how badly did Mike Delaney want to say the officiating is of a low standard at the moment? I've been an avid watcher of the NPC for 15 plus years uh, and I can't remember a lower standard of refereeing than the current group. I lived in England for three years before COVID, watched a lot of Gallagher Premiership and the standard in the UK of refereeing is so much higher, probably more investment in them but the golf was quite surprising. John, really cool observation, thank you very much for that often wondered uh, about that because we get the impression down here they're such an officious bunch that, um, you know, they tend to dominate so much. Uh, but maybe that's not the case, and I still believe now one of the best referees going around is Wayne Barnes. I know we had that problem with him all those years ago, but my goodness, uh, I think uh, when he's in control of a game, it seems to go quite swimmingly. Zade's passion, and Zade was uh, interesting with his team that he named this morning, uh, his passion is outstanding. Uh, but some of his selections are a bit off the mark, I feel. The Blues back line couldn't win the Super Rugby, so picking 9, 10, 11, 12 and 13, Zaid, is silly. That's uh, from an unnamed texter, but just an observation. Uh, if RTE starts, uh, then Barrett plays 10 to help with the connection and the clarity for Roger after the Blues. Don't mind that, if uh, that's what you're thinking, but I don't think that will happen. Uh, Brad has come in with his starting 15, the Groot, Tokiaho, uh, Lomax, Retallick and Whitelock, so the same old uh, uh, Type 5. Then Frizzell at 6, Papali'i at 7, Savia at 8, uh, Smith, Mwanga, 
Clark, RTS said uh, Brad would give him a start. Uh, Rico Ioane, uh, uh, Seve Reese, and Will Jordan. So um, that is uh, Brad's side. Ken has come in and said, uh, Smithy, my side is Offa, Tonga Fasi, uh, Tokiaho, Nepo Laulala, uh, Scott Barrett, and Retallick, Papali'i, Akira Ioane, Sututu, Christy, Bowden, RTS, Rico, and the back three of Clark, Reese, and Barrett. Certainly, I know, Ken, wouldn't expect anything uh, other than that from you. Certainly a bit of an, an Auckland bias, I think it is fair to say. Um, and uh, Brian says, this morning, Ian, I'm sure they won't put Geordie Barrett at 12 when we have other options here, including RTS. After the last test, this is no given on Saturday. They will be super fired up to beat us. Very interesting game coming up. Uh, I really do agree with you on that, Brian. I think the Australians have, uh, I won't say got a point to prove, but they've got a hoodoo to break. At, which is Eden Park, and they've got uh, last week those last two painful minutes that have, they will have been reliving in their preparation this week. They might not admit to that, but they will have been, I promise you. It's 10.51 here on SENZ. The Love Racing.NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Just trying to get hold of uh, Louis Herman. What uh, thumbs up that he's there, hopefully? Uh, yes, he is. Right, uh, Louis, we're going to have an update for the Woodfall races today, but they have been abandoned, so uh, I'm not quite sure what to talk about apart from what's coming up at the weekend. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm at the Paddington having a nice little uh, Emerson's Pale Ale. Well, actually, it's a little Pilsner, actually. Um, so we could, we could dissect beer. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think you're a craft beer guy. But if you were going to have a craft beer, would 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 you have a brand that's a favourite? No, I'm not a craft beer guy at all, to be fair. But I, I do admire Emerson's beers. I, I do that, but I, I'm not a craft beer fan. I'm straight out export fan. So um, begs the question, though. The sun's not over the yard arm. It is not eleven o'clock yet. Uh, just begs the question. Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe just Thursday. Something in the water. Something in the three wise bird cider. I don't know. I don't know. So the um, <laughs> hey, wild night yesterday was super impressive. Tomorrow we've got racing gore. Then this weekend it's Awapuni and Ruakaka. Uh Actually, Pinarello is in in Sydney. Race eight or nine. Um, so Pinarello. Now the Dark Destroyer form I think could be really powerful. I think Dark Destroyer is a good horse. I think Pinarello might be a really good horse for this. So we will watch Pinarello with a lot of interest for Robert Wellwood and Roger James this weekend and. Butler at Awapuni was my first and only early bet yesterday. 250 to 220 already. I think it might just be way too smart for them, even with the top weight. Okay, right. Okay, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Then Pinarello, of course, that was uh, Lee Thinnis' last big ride, big ride in Australia. Is that right? With the last ride, full stop. Whip drop. We had him on the good all in the leaking house. He wanted to retire after Aegon at the Karaka Millions a couple of years ago. He sat down and Jess Sinis, our colleague, said, uh, well, he didn't give us the direct words, but it was probably along the lines of, there's no way you're retiring yet, we've got a boat to pay off. And uh, he jumped back on, won a, a couple more stakes races, and um, there you go, the whip drop in the Queensland Derby. So a fantastic story, and I think this horse is going to be a really, really good one for Brendan and Joe Lindsay. Good on you. Uh, enjoy, enjoy your... Um your craft beer, uh, Louis Herman. What, uh, Paul Mawati, not uh, having the same luxury, still at work uh, and available to us, uh, Paul. Um, this Thursday, of course, the All Whites playing tonight and the rugby markets uh, becoming available for the weekend too. 
Yep, that's right, uh, Smitty. Just uh, looking at tonight's match, uh, the Australians are $1.50, the All-Whites $5.50. There's a draw at $4.00. Uh, and we've got a boosted market on, I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, Chris Wood to score at any time in tonight's match uh, between Australia and the All-Whites. Uh, he was $3.40 to score, now boosted out to $4.50. Uh, don't forget the Major League Baseball as well. The uh, Yankees taking on the Pittsburgh Pirates today, and Aaron Judge currently sits on 60 home runs for the season uh, if he hits another home run today against the Pittsburgh Pirates, he will equal Roger Maris's uh, record. And we've got a boosted market on Aaron Judge to hit a home run today against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Was $3, now out to $4. Of course, the Bledisloe Cup test on Saturday. Biggest bet so far, $5,000 on the All Blacks at twenty. And of course, we've got 21 $5,000 bonus bets to give away uh, in that match, so just head to the Punters Lounge on the TAB website to check out all the T's and C's, and we've taken a $20,000 bet on the Panthers to beat the Rabbitohs this weekend at $1.36. Paul Mawadi there from the TAB. Logan Swinkles uh, after the break with Chris Mundell from AFL New Zealand. It's the big one this weekend at the MCG. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You're listening to SENZ and this is Logan Swinkles, producer of Mornings with Ian Smith. And while it's going to be a big weekend of sport in Auckland, across the ditch in Melbourne, fans of Aussie rules will be flocking to the mecca of the sport that is the MCG. It's the AFL Grand Final between the Sydney Swans and the Geelong Cats. And joining us now from AFL New Zealand is Chris Mundell. Thanks for your time. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, thanks, mate. Pleasure to be here. One thing I've always kind of wanted with Aussie rules is, are you surprised that it hasn't taken more of a foothold here in the New Zealand sporting landscape? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly a game that I see New Zealanders being really strong at. And I think if we can start to break some of those barriers down, that the connotation with it being an Australian sport, we can hopefully start converting some of our really talented um, rugby and netballers and league players um, towards AFL. It's got a huge amount of potential from a cross-code skill collaboration point of view. Yeah, on that, how transferable are skills that we see in the likes of basketball in New Zealand and, uh, sorry, netball to Aussie rules? Oh, really transferable, you know, from both from the actual skills in terms of rugby with the kicking and passing and from basketball in terms of understanding zone defences and, and moving through space, they're, they're really transferable. And what Australia has done really well is tapped into those markets for their own development. So if we can get on board and start tapping into those areas, we can hopefully see some real progress. We'll get more onto the pathway side of things of the game here in New Zealand because I know you have a vested interest in that. But one thing, I feel like most people, when they discover Aussie rules on TV for the first time, they just kind of stare at it and, you know, they wonder what the hell is going on. Is it a complicated sport? No, I mean, ironically enough, despite being called Aussie rules, there aren't a huge amount of rules to worry about. Certainly from watching uh, rugby and the likes in New Zealand, it's once you've got your head around some of the basic stuff, it is far um, less complex and, and much easier to understand. But I agree, when I when I first watched the game, without knowing those those few key pieces, it can be quite uh, daunting. For someone who's going to, say, watch the AFL Grand Final this weekend and, you know, you're trying to explain the rules, what, what's the kind of dumbed-down version? Like, what are the key things to look out for? 
Well, the couple of main things is obviously the, the, the aim of the game is to try and kick the ball through the two big posts at either end. So that's what most teams are trying to do. Uh, there's a couple of ways to get the ball around the ground. You can either kick it to your mate or you can what we call hand pass it where you effectively, a bit like a volleyball punch, you sort of you punch the ball to your teammate, which is exactly the same as a rugby pass in terms of what its outcome is. Um, it's a bit like soccer in that you can pass and kick in a 360-degree space. You can kick and pass anywhere you like. But yeah, when it comes down to it, which team can kick the most uh, goals through the the big sticks at the far end. Uh, and with the final this weekend, it being the Swans and the Cats, they've met just once this season, uh, all the way back in round two of the ECG. Sydney won that 107-77. Uh, to 77. Plenty of footy's been played, though, since then. Who's impressed you more on their run to the grand final? Oh, it's a good question. I think both teams have, are coming in with some superior form. I think this is the only the second time, I think, in, in AFL history that two teams have met uh, when they're both coming off a, a, a 10-plus game winning streak. So um, <laughs> both teams are coming in with some real we're in real depth and real experience. Um, I think Geelong certainly play the, the clinical old hand, been there before type um, role, whereas Sydney are, are exciting, they're young, they're full of energy, they're high pressure. So both teams have got their pros and cons, and it's, as, as it always is, as the cliche says, it's who turns up on the day. Uh, looking at some of the names that are going to be featured in this grand final, I, I was watching last weekend, and I've seen him before. Just the play of Patrick Dangerfield. When I see him, I just it, it's mind blowing the things he does out there on the field. Do the Swans have much of a chance of shutting down a threat like that? Yeah, they do. The Swans have built their game certainly in the back half of this year around real high pressure contested ball. So, where Dangerfield is, is expert in that is ability to pick that ball up off the ground and bust out of out of the congestion, out to open space. If the Swans have a chance to stop him, it's going to be making sure they get on top of him before he can bust through. So making sure they stick their tackles, making sure they stay close to him. Don't give him one or two metres distance because if you give it to him and he's in form, he'll hurt you. Yeah, time and space is very crucial there in uh, Aussie rules from what I've seen. Another Geelong player there, he might potentially have some grand final nerves though, is uh, Jeremy Cameron. He played back in 2019 for GWS, and uh, anyone who was watching that will remember that they got slaughtered by Richmond, uh, losing by 89 points there. He only kicked one goal in that grand final. Do you see him putting those big game demons behind him here? Yeah, I think someone of Jeremy Cameron's class is going to take more learnings out of that 2019 performance than anything else. I think he'll be coming in this weekend really conscious of the, of the things that may have hurt him in that last game and hurt his team. And he'll be really focused on making sure he plays his role for Geelong. And he's been an absolute superstar this year for them. And he'll have enough experience around him to calm any nerves he has. But I think he'll take more learnings out of that than anything else. When you think of the Swans, I don't know if you can think of any other name than Lance Buddy Franklin. Uh, earlier this season, you know, he kicked his 1,000th uh, goal in the AFL. Those were just incredible scenes when everyone flooded the ECG. He's won two premierships with Hawthorne before. I know that's your team, but never with Sydney. At his age now, is he the kind of player that can carry the Swans to a flag? Yeah, I think Buddy is the kind of player. He he doesn't necessarily have to be the one who kicks the goals to win in the flag, but the way he performs is certainly their, their thermometer as to how the Swans are going to go. If he's up and about and he's bringing that, those, that final experience that he has back in his time with Hawthorne, he can turn games on, on a dime and he has the ability... To score from pretty much anywhere and he has the ability to impact games so 
whether he's kicking goals or being a threat around the ground, he's really influential in that Sydney side as to how they go. Uh, we're speaking on SNZ here with Chris Mundell from AFL New Zealand. Of course, it's been AFL Grand Final Week. Looking on the fan side of things, Chris, have you had the opportunity before to experience Melbourne during Grand Final Weekend before? No, I haven't had the fortunate experience of getting over there for Grand Final Weekend. I've been to Melbourne for a number of games, but never for the big one. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to be a bucket list thing, right? I mean... Uh, it's just such a big deal over there. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, Melbourne do sport really well. They've got really good precincts and they set themselves up for this weekend every year. And what's always exciting when you get over to Melbourne is how much the city get in behind it, whether their teams are in it or not. So no doubt it will be a, yeah, another huge weekend. Yeah, that is a crazy thing with, I mean, when you think of Aussie rules, right, the majority of the teams come from the state of Victoria. How is it that even though your team isn't in it, they still go to the MCG? Like, why, you know, there's a lot of tribalism in AFL. Why do you think that even if a team isn't in the final, they want to go? Well, it's just their experience. I think they put that on really well. And, and you know, most people who are, most of these the 10 clubs that are in Victoria have really large membership bases and even outside of that, there's a huge percentage of population who come from other um, states in Australia. So no matter where your team comes from, if they are in the final, they're going to have a population base in, in Melbourne and in Victoria who want to come along and support. So um, it's always really well attended. Now, I know you're a Hawthorne fan yourself, as I mentioned before, but imagine you're a Kiwi sports fan that you know, has no real connection to Australia, but you were thinking of following the sport. How do you go about picking a team to support? Uh, look, what I usually tell the friends of mine who are trying to get into it is pick your favourite uniform. Uh, <laughs> pick your favourite uniform, your favourite mascot, what looks good. And once you've picked one, then you just got to start learning about them and, and back them in no matter what happens. It's not a, a sport where changing teams a bit like the English Premier League. You don't really change allegiances once you've got one. Um, but how you go about finding one is, up, is totally personal, whether it be a person's name, a, a colour of a top, or even the team song. Find yourself something you like and then jump on. I was going to bring up the team songs because they all have one. What's what's the whole idea there, the origin story behind those? Because, I mean, we know that you have them in football as well over in the UK. Is it just something the Aussies kind of picked up and ran with? Yeah, I mean, I think it originated out of the fact that it was more of a club song. It's sort of their sort of mantra as the club. And as those clubs have become more and more focused around that singular team, be it the men's or the women's team now, they have evolved into having their own team songs. And, and you're certainly seeing some of that influence come through now in the league space where they... Um, post wins will, will sing a team song in the sheds and it is really much about sort of flying your flag and, and waving your banner as high as possible whenever you get the opportunity. Nice. These days some fans are more interested in following players as opposed to teams. Aside from say some of the names we mentioned before, who are the big names in the game that you think would be worth keeping an eye on if that's how you choose to follow the sport? Yeah look I think from the Geelong point of view you can't go much further past their, their two key people as Joel Salwood, their captain who's in the middle He's back playing a grand final at the twilight of his career. Um, and then you've got Tom Hawkins up forward, who's the big bull, who's the sort of the yin to Lance Franklin's yang, if you will. Um, those are certainly two key people who will, who will be getting a lot of attention and bring a lot of promotion. On the Sydney side, look, they've got a young talent. They've got a guy, Callum Mills. He's really exciting to watch. Um, and, you know, some of their midfielders in that, in that Sydney side can really turn a game. So anyone you pick is going to be at a... Um, show what, they, what they're about on that day and hopefully they all play well because no one, no one likes having a grand final where you don't turn up. <laughs> no, and as I mentioned before, the GWS Giants know that all too well. So between the Sydney Swans and the Geelong Cats, if I got you to make a prediction, who do you think is coming away with the flag there this weekend? 
yeah, look, it's, it's a tricky one at this stage of the week without, you know, hopefully no one gets injured in training and hopefully everyone puts their best foot forward. I think you'd be hard-pressed to go past Geelong. I think they are just so clinical at the moment. They're coming in with some real form. They've been there or thereabouts for probably the last decade. You know, you could argue that they're due a win. Um, so they'll be coming in really, really confident. But Sydney are the dark horse. They have a really young, talented group and, and could cause an upset for sure. Now we're speaking here with Chris Mundell uh, here on SNZ. AFL New Zealand recently announced you were appointed as their academy lead. What do the high-performance pathways for Aussie rules in New Zealand currently look like? Yeah, look, they're in their infancy. We're trying to build a real strong base of, of as I say, that talent that we can bring across from other codes. We're trying to get our pathways connected to Australia. Uh, we certainly have some strong connections in the female space with our connection with both Sydney um, and obviously with the AFLW in its more infancy than the male space. We have a lot of opportunity for our, our young female players to get across there and experience what it's like and hopefully get themselves on an AFLW list. So we're building connections. We're, we're building a base of talent and players over here and it's about making sure we just keep developing them and giving them as many opportunities to get across the ditch and show their talent as much as we can. Nice. Uh, I've noticed, you know, the Women's League, the AFLW, they're gaining more traction in Australia and becoming more visible than ever before. You just have to see the uh, Disney Plus documentary series Fearless to see that. Are you seeing from that a greater interest in females here looking to pick up the game? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think the, the exposure that the AFLW is providing to uh, the females in this side of the ditch with the, you know, with the games being shown, etc., is starting to drive some interest. We're seeing at the local club level more and more females of all ages wanting to come and give the sport a go and seeing it as a realistic opportunity to, to take their sporting careers further. Um, the run-up for a female player from never having played the game here in New Zealand to getting to an AFLW list is a lot shorter than it is for the males. So there are ten, real tangible opportunities and as a result we're starting to see some... Um, talent come through, which is really exciting. I was curious about that. Uh, you know, with your experience in talent development and coaching, how quickly can Kiwis typically pick up the rules and the nuances of Aussie rules football? Oh, look, it doesn't take long. As I said at the start, there's, there's, the rules are seemingly complicated, but actually pretty simple. So from a skill transfer point of view, if you've played any kind of netball or basketball or rugby or league, you're going to be coming in with a pretty high level. If you're coming at it from nothing at all, it's pretty simple to pick up in terms of understanding what the actual goal of the game is and how I get about uh, playing it. I believe recently you were in Australia at the Sydney Swans Academy. What did you take away from your time there that you want to bring back to New Zealand? Uh, we haven't, haven't hit over, headed over there just yet. It's on the horizon, but I'm looking forward to it. I think they are a, a club who have proven through their academy program how strong it can be. If you look at their men's side in the final this weekend, a lot of that talent has come through their academy program. So I'm really interested to get over there, see their systems and processes, see what they look for, see what we can replicate over here and what we can adapt to our audience just to make sure that we're aligned to what they want to get and to give our kids as much opportunity as possible. Given we see other New Zealand teams break into Australian leagues, is there a goal there of having a Kiwi club in the AFL or AFLW someday for you? Oh, for sure. I think... From an AFLW point of view, it's certainly a really realistic and viable option in the in the hopefully medium future. Uh, from a men's point of view, I'd love to say it, but there are a few more barriers and a few more hurdles to get across in that space. We are really well represented both in the male and female space in the AFL with New Zealand Heritage players and people who have New Zealand Heritage. So there is some strong connections. How we get a homegrown side up on either of those two competitions uh, is for the higher-ups, but I'd love to see it. 
you've mentioned the barriers a couple of times there, especially with the AFL, uh, both players trying to break through and potentially a New Zealand team. Is that largely down to just, I mean, how historic and how long running the competition is compared to the women's league? Oh, totally. We, you know, the AFL over there has been around for 150 years. It's got, you know, a huge player base, a whole bunch of kids who are constantly trying to make it to the top. So for us as New Zealanders, we have access to higher levels and we have pathways there, but you're jumping into a pretty big pond of talent already. And so you've got to be really exceptional to make your way through. Doesn't mean it can't happen though. Well, hopefully one day we see it. Uh, but until then, of course, massive weekend, Sydney Swans, Geelong Cats. Uh, and, I mean, if you're a Hawthorne fan like you are, maybe next year? <laughs> yeah, exactly, mate. Always next year. All right. Well, uh, Chris, thank you so much for your time on SCNZ. Uh, enjoy the weekend, mate. You too, buddy. Appreciate it. Red and white, which is the Sydney Swans uh, up against the Geelong Cats uh, this weekend. Uh, Geelong Cats will probably be sentimental favourites being uh, closer to home, but uh, don't uh, discount the chances of the Sydney Swans. That was uh, Logan Swinkles, of course, uh, interviewing uh, Chris Mundell from uh, AFL New Zealand. And uh, the fever pitch atmosphere around Melbourne, uh, you wouldn't believe. It's uh, ten times what we... Uh, seem to be able to conjure up for any All Black Test matches. I promise you, it is just such an in. It's in the system thing. The AFL, particularly around about Victoria, but it's just this weekend, and it just absolutely flies. So the the Cats against the Swans, uh, that'll be massive. It is uh, eleven nineteen here on SENZ. We're not far away from uh, Ian Foster's uh, All Black team to play Australia. Uh, we should have that for you around about eleven thirty. So we'll have comments uh, about that. Prior to that, of course, we'll have a stump smithy, but uh, before that, we might just hear, hear from uh, the man they call Nobody, the greatest nickname in sport, I reckon, Nobody, John Eels, because Nobody's perfect. We'll hear from him next. Yeah, 11.25, and uh, of course, uh, you can listen to Staffy this afternoon uh, between 12 and 4. He'll have uh, a number of guests on, and if you uh, weren't listening yesterday, you uh, would have missed uh, his conversation that he had uh, with uh, Australian rugby great John Eels, of course, uh, one of the greatest rugby players Australia's ever uh, produced. Maybe he may be that. In fact, uh, he was just a complete, complete item. Uh, a staff asked him uh, yesterday about um, a contesting position and rugby's entertainment value in uh, Australia. I sort of want you to comment on that last sixty seconds about as an incident. Do you think it's a, a good launching point for some discussions around around time wasting and best use of time in that eighty minute game capsule? It's a discussion that we absolutely need to have. Um, you know, rugby it, it, it's a complex game, and because it's a complex game, it's going to take longer. There's going to be more um, more breaks in play than there will be compared to rugby league. I, I think. As a watcher of rugby, and why I love rugby, we've got to be careful that we don't just equate movement with entertainment, because a lot of the entertainment in rugby, you know, it might be a bit esoteric in some ways, but like, yeah, the scrum is an entertaining feature, the, the line-out is an entertaining feature, and it's a skill that needs to be done well, and they're actually really important to preserve the difference between rugby league and rugby union is the contest for possession. Mm-hmm. Rugby league is a massive contest, right? It's a it's a collision, it's a contest 
all the time. But there's not the con- same contest for possession as there is in rugby. And the, the, the contest for possession in rugby, theoretically, every scrum, every line-out, every ruck, every maul, every tackle, every high ball, every kickoff, um, there's, there's a live contest for possession. And that's what gives the place for someone like myself in the team or a short squat prop in the, in the team. Um, so we get those different body shapes. So I think we need to preserve that. There's a long way around of answering your, your question about time wasting because uh, and, and the amount of time it takes. But with that complexity, you are going to need more time. You need time to set scrums. But there's simple things I think we can do. Like, for example, I would take away penalties from scrums because a lot of the times a scrum would, would, obviously not every scrum, but they get a lot of penalties, it seems, where a scrum is penalised for just uh, being weak. Yes. Like they're not doing anything wrong. Uh, and it's the only part of the game where you're penalised for being weak. And so you have one team who has the strongest scrum, which inevitably can push the other team back. And as soon as it gets pushed back a little bit and it's slightly not straight, well, penalty. My, my, my view would be that's an advantage. You've got to choose how you play that advantage. And, and you've got the ball, they're going backwards. You, you'll be, you, you, you can do something. I don't think it needs a penalty unless. For example, it might be five metres out, and it's, uh, you know you're stopping a push over try. Then that that's a different scenario. But we're getting penalties in all parts of the field for that. That slows the game down. John Eels there with his uh, thoughts on uh, slowing the game down, and uh, interesting theory that isn't it uh, about the scrums uh, not being penalised because you have a weakness there. Just get the, a weakness exposed, and uh, of course. Uh, and invariably what happens is uh, when you get a, a scrum penalty, apart from uh, if it's eminently kickable as such, you, you turn around and formulate another scrum, don't you, more often than not? And I told you that John Eels was absolutely perfect. I mean, how many locks use the word esoteric, esoteric? I mean, it's a back word. I mean, to be fair, isn't it? It's a back word. It's a number. It's a nine or a ten word. It's not a four or a five word, uh, esoteric. Uh, and esoteric, just by the way, means intended for or likely to be understood by only a small number of people with a specialised knowledge of interest. Esoteric. Of course it is, John. Of course it is. Uh, esoteric won't be. Uh, in fact, esoteric does sum up some of the people that uh, have a crack at, uh, that have a crack at uh, Stump Smithy. Uh, a number of people with a specialised knowledge of interest, a small number. Well, we're inviting that small number now to get on the phone. 0800 150 811 0800 150 811 uh, We shall have uh, a $50 voucher from the TAB up for grabs. Uh, and uh, during the news break, of course, uh, Logan, I think, will be getting uh, the All Black team. Hopefully it'll come through, and he will announce that to you as soon as we possibly can as well. So we might do the All Black team, then Stump Smithy, or vice versa. We'll just see how the land lies. But in the meantime, it is 11.30, and here is Araha. Radio, it is 11.31, which means we do have the All Black team for the match against Australia at Eden Park, Saturday night, 7.05 kickoff. And Logan Swinkles, you have the honour. Thank you, Smithy. Esoteric, by the way, great word. Uh, yes, this is the match day 23 for the Eden Park test there for the All Blacks against the Wallabies. Ethan De Groot. Cody Taylor, Tyrell Lomax, that is your front row. Brody Retullick and Sam Whitelock, your locks. 
and also Sam Whitelock gets the C next to his name. Akira Yuwani at six, Dalton Papali'i at seven, Adi Savir back at eight, Aaron Smith in the halves, along with Richie Moanga starting again at 10, Caleb Clark there on the left wing, Jordy Barrett there at 12, Rico Yuwani 13, Will Jordan on the right wing, Bowden Barrett at fullback, and then on your bench, Samasoni Takiaho, Ofa Tonga Fasi, Nipo Lolala, Tupo Vai, Hoskin Satutu, Finlay Christie, Roger Tuovasashek, and Siva Reese is back as well. Wow, that is an interesting side, and it's not one that uh, many people have picked, not a 23 at all, to be perfectly honest. I haven't heard many people say Cody Taylor would get a, another chance back there at number two. Um, Akira Iwani starting at six, didn't hear a lot of people say that one either. Uh, Dalton Papali'i was surmised by a few. Um, uh, Caleb Clark, uh, yeah, that was um, a, a given. But Geordie Barrett at 12, the speculation around that has been confirmed. And Bowden Barrett at 15, Ollie Ritchie came up with Bowden Barrett at 15. That was something uh, I would have thought that they had changed a Geordie Barrett from 15. Will Jordan just straight in there, absolutely straight in there. Not the case. Very, very interesting. Uh, the, the powerhouse of uh, Tokiahu coming off the bench if the All Blacks are in trouble. Tuangafasi gets another shot, as does uh, Laulala uh, in, the, in terms of the bench to Buvai. And uh, Hoskins Satutu relegated from the start back to uh, uh, to uh, the reserve bench. Uh, Roger Tuovasashek obviously in 22 to come off the bench at some stage. And Sevu Reese. Wow, that is, uh, that'll raise a few eyebrows. That's, uh, there's some talking points there uh, to be sure. No Jordan, I've already got a text to come through. No Jordan at 15 and uh, I won't even, uh, I'll I, I just say surprise, put it that way, surprise from that that texter and there is a lot too uh so we'll, we'll leave it at that logan and uh, get on with the business at hand but we'll come back to that i think some talking points ian smith's had a good match here stumped by smithy ian smith really is top class at his job Yes, back to the business at hand here on SNZ Mornings. Time for Stumped. $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs today. Smithy, I'll give you the topics shortly. But first, at the crease, we're going back to Gore, and it's Reed. Come in, Reed. G'day, guys. How are we? Buddy, very interesting um, all-backs team there. What do you make of it, Reed? What, what are the surprises for you? Well, I can't get my head around this Cody Taylor getting in the start, but anyway, Takiyahu's been absolutely enormous. He has, he has. I think he's number one. Uh, I, I guess, they, are they giving uh, Cody Taylor a chance? Uh, they want him in the squad, but they want the old Cody Taylor, so I guess they're giving him an opportunity right from the outset to prove a point. He should be very determined. He's looked lacklustre, uh, Cody Taylor, by his previous uh, form, and that's the reason why uh, a lot of people thought his uh, days might be numbered, but uh, certainly not. He gets another chance, and no Will Jordan at fullback still. On uh, They've gone to Bowden Barrett at fullback. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And, uh, yeah, RTS, hopefully he gets a, a good shot. Don't know what it's, um, you know, you're playing a position, a, a player out of their position. I don't know what it's going to do for his confidence, but... Mm, interesting. Geordie um, Barrett going in there. It is very interesting, actually, uh, putting a, a, a fullback over the top of a specialist uh, who they think is a specialist um, and not quite ready enough to start the test match. It's very interesting. Anyway, let's get, get on uh, with the categories, uh, Logan. Uh, what are they today? Categories today. There's no rugby here, though. Uh, we've got cricket, netball and golf. Take your pick, Reid. And I'll go uh, netball. 
All right, good luck. Yeah, interesting series, that one, isn't it? Oh, at least the uh, second one is tonight. Look forward to that here on SCNZ, of course. First question. There have been seven Centurions for the Silver Ferns. Of those seven, who has the most caps in the black skirt? Uh, Laura Langman. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, Langham style. Smithy, would you have had that one? No, wouldn't have got that. So uh, I'd have lost that one anyway. Moving right along. I'm thinking your guess might have been Irene Van Dyke. Might have been. Just might have been. <laughs> okay. Might well, have been. Second question here. Netball great Irene Van Dyke earned 145 caps for New Zealand, 72 for South Africa, making her all up the most capped netballer to play for New Zealand. What year did she make her Ferns debut? Oh, uh, um, I'd say her debut would have been around 1990. Oh, is that for the New Zealand team or South Africa? For New Zealand. Oh, yeah. I'll say 2000 then. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Here, I thought you were about to go down the 90s route. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I thought it was world debuts, but yeah, nah. Smithy. Okay. No, I, don't, I wouldn't have got that. I'll be perfectly honest. So, yeah. I, I think Reed's the hot favourite here. Mm, He's yeah. a dollar one in shortening to win this. Two for two. I'm bowling some short deliveries here, and he's just smacking me for six around the park. Last question for you, Reed. $50 TAB bonus be on the line. The Tiny Jamison Trophy was first introduced in 2008 in a series won by the Ferns 3-1. What team was that against? Uh, Tony Jamison. I would say England. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Ah, Smither, you didn't even have a chance today. Nah, I might as well not have just uh, participated. Oh, I'm glad I had that chat with uh, Reid beforehand because it's the only <laughs> chance I had to talk. Um, Reid, absolutely brilliant performance. Fantastic. Uh, stay on the line. We've got your details from day one, actually. When we first went to air 19th of July last year, I think Reid was one of our first contributors. So uh, don't begrudge him a $50 bet from the TAB. Stay on the line and Brian will uh, confirm those details, Reid. Uh, and we'll be back, folks, very shortly. Um, it is 11.39 here. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, uh, just uh, repeating that uh, all-black side that has uh, been named by Ian Foster to play the, the, the Wallabies on Saturday night at Eden Park. So uh, your loose head prop is uh, Ethan De Groot uh, at uh, hooker, Cody Taylor. Uh, the tight head prop will be uh, Tyrell Lomax, and then your locks are Brodie Ritalik and Sam Whitelock. At six are Kerry Ioane, seven Dalton Papali'i, eight Adi Savia, uh, nine Aaron Smith, ten Richie Moonga, eleven Caleb Clark, twelve Geordie Barrett, thirteen Rico Ioane, fourteen Will Jordan, fifteen Bowden Barrett, uh, Samasoni Tokiahu uh, in sixteen. Offer Tuanga Fasi in 17 and Nepo Lolala in 18. Uh, Tupu Vai in 19. Hoskins Satutu. Uh, Finlay Christie in 21. Roger Tuavasa Shek in 22. 
and Sevu Reese in 23. Talking points there, Cody Taylor, Akira Yawani, um, and Geordie Barrett at 12, Bowden Barrett at 15. They would be your major talking points. And uh, the fact also that uh, the captain's armband has gone from Sam Kane, who is unavailable due to injury, uh, to Sam Whitelock. Sam Whitelock, uh, the, the people's choice, uh, was probably, I would imagine, Adi Savia, now that he was uh, back on deck. Um, OK, let's uh, hear again from uh, John Hills, who, uh, John Hills, who was with Staffy yesterday, uh, on the battles rugby faces to keep players in the game in Australia. There's long been a constant battle for playing numbers in Australia um, and we talked about the importance of success for engagement with fans and engagement for participation and it's been a bit of a battle for the Wallabies of late um, and you've got a code there that no other country battles with in, in Aussie rules. What are you seeing from the ground with, with the appetite for participation in rugby in Australia at the moment? It's very challenging, and as you say, Aussie Rules and Rugby League, if you're the best Aussie Rules or Rugby League player in the world, you're playing in Australia and you're getting paid the most to play in Australia. Uh, yeah, if you're the best rugby player in the world, you can play in, in many different countries and get paid more to play less games overseas, and that's, that's a challenging economic proposition for anyone, um, and you can't blame younger players for going overseas. So maintaining our, our core player base is, is not easy. But, but there's another side of this, and it's the grassroots, as you allude to. And while it's challenging, there's, there's a great um, following in the, in the club competitions around Australia. I know my club brothers in Brisbane um, have a, an overflow of players. There are so many players. You know, it's one of the biggest clubs going around, and, and that's... And that, has been that's repeated across a number of clubs in Brisbane. It's very popular. The Brisbane club competition is going very well, as is the Sydney club competition, uh, as two examples. So it's there's, there's a strong rugby heart beating here, but it is challenged. There's no question about that. Mm, yeah, John Eels there with that uh, that comment there, and it is uh, an ongoing thing uh, in Australia. Much more competitive market than uh, we have over here, particularly as uh, it goes state by state um, in terms of uh, what is the priority. Uh, so uh, just looking at some of uh, your comments, um, as morning, Smithy, has the dual playmaker option ever worked? Um, all it appears to do is create confusion and disrupt the back line. Notable that Bowden kept jumping into first receiver when he came on at fullback last week, and as a result, Moanga drifted out of the game. Geordie playing, if Geordie plays at 12, then we know that he is. Uh, it is a farce if Jordan does not play 15. Uh, will be another example of uh, Foster ignoring the obvious. Um, we've got a reaction to, uh, from Brad saying the Wallabies will be rubbing their hands together. Mm. Uh, no, no uh, Will Jordan at 15, uh, says one. Um, and uh, unbelievable, the best <coughs> fullback stays on the wing when he has a golden opportunity to attack from the centre of the field instead of being confined to the touchline. Uh, no centre cover or specialist second five. Um, is that not uh, Roger Tuovasa-Shek? Uh, surely he's uh, been classed as centre or second five cover, um, even though uh, really he's only played uh, 10, 15 minutes at international level. I hope uh, it's not just a 10-minute uh, little cameo from his point of view. I hope... Um, you know, almost just after half time, we see him in action for 30, 35 minutes. 
that would be, uh, I think, more fitting. Um, Peter Peter Max says uh, RTS has uh, has to get the start. Let's see what he can do. His game for the Orcs last week shows his improvement. So mm, uh, we're not going to see him start. Uh, so uh, that is uh, that as far as we're concerned. Uh, Jared's come in actually uh, also uh, late with. I uh, hope the All Whites can win in us tonight, but I think they may struggle given 11 years since they last played. But how good a win would be given recent Trans Tasman clashes, rugby and cricket? I look forward to it actually, I really do um, and I know we've drifted off topic because of the All Black scene but I really do look forward to uh, the, the All Whites and I'll certainly be watching it, uh, I think it's a wonderful opportunity just to assess uh, where we're at um, and of course uh, Australia uh, Australia are going to the World Cup so Graham Arnold, their coach will be looking at it with every opportunity to try combinations so uh, they might be a little bit vulnerable tonight, they might be and it was only what, one refereeing decision as such that gave us a fair opportunity to be in, in the World Cup itself also. Uh, the, the dual playmaker one is an interesting one <coughs> because uh, it does, doesn't it? With Geordie Barrett at 15, it gives him the opportunity to come up from time to time. Uh, Richie Mong is good under the high ball and uh, he's got a good kicking game as we know, so they might chop and change a wee bit there, uh, give uh, the Aussies something uh, extra to think about, but I think the Aussies will also be looking at the uh, kicking game from Moanga, which has changed drastically uh, from uh, the influence of Joe Smith, one would think. It, it's a viable attacking option. Uh, it wasn't uh, as such about a month and a half ago. Now, plenty for defending teams to think about. Uh, and Cody Taylor's the interesting one, isn't it, uh, for me? Cody Taylor, who was the form hooker not that long ago, <clears throat> has drifted off the pace somewhat. Samasoni Tokuahu as a ball-carrying hooker, and with the set pieces as well, has been absolutely fantastic. A revelation, in fact, so I'm expecting that Cody Taylor might have a cracker. He just might have a cracker on Saturday night at Eden Park, uh, as will uh, the, those players that have been given opportunities again uh, when they get the opportunity and offer Tuanga Farsi and Nepo Lalala. And thank you, yes, Ken, you were right. You said to offer and Nepo in the 23 and Akira at 6. You and Mr Foster are almost on the same wavelength this week. Uh, we'll have Staff with his comments on that uh, and his show this afternoon coming up very shortly. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91